Good morning. Would you stand? We'd like to stand in honoring God's word. And I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 7. We're doing a little bit of a mini-series within the study of the book. When God plagues a nation, when that nation is our nation. And so in 7 through 12, we're going to be looking at the plagues uh, as we go through them over the next couple studies at least. This morning I want to read from Exodus 7, verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to do another responsive reading in the Psalms that talks about these uh, idols as we're dealing with the gods of Egypt, so we'll, we'll do that responsive reading. So here it is, Exodus 7. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And we read last week how those great judgments, many of they really centered on judging the gods of Egypt. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So let's do this responsive reading. I'll read the first and odd verses. You follow in the second and even verses. There are 21 verses. When we get to verse 21, we're going to say it all together. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants of the Lord. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. He sent signs and wonders into the midst of you, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. All of us together, blessed be the Lord out of Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And Lord, we do, we praise you. We bow before you. We acknowledge even in worship and now in the word that you are God. There's none like you in all the earth. You created all things, and by your will they are and will were created. You are in charge completely of all that you've created. You are sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. And Lord, you are our redeemer. 
And we stand before you, humbling ourselves to say thank you, praise you, we worship you, we bless you. And Lord, the things that I prepared, I'm asking you, break them fresh, feed us, because we are hungry. In this dry and thirsty land, we're thirsty. So bless these things, break them fresh, feed us, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We give your word the centerpiece, the center place, foundation for all that we believe. Bless it now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So by way of just a quick review, and I hope that if you haven't heard previous ones that you'll listen to them because I could repeat a lot of things. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say, hey, go see them. But there's a couple things this morning in a very quick review. First of all, God's purposes in these plagues. Number one, to publicly manifest the mighty power of the Lord God. To, t- to demonstrate Yahweh is sovereign Lord over all gods. To judge the gods of the Egyptians. To punish Egypt for their cruel treatment of the Hebrews. To furnish a complete testing, notice this, of personal, individual responsibility. To solemnly warn other nations and to establish the faith of the Hebrews indelible lessons for them and their children. And we look to the Word of God, and particularly this event, as being a picture of our redemption. So a simple outline that I gave you last week that we'll keep putting up each week, when God plagues a nation, when that nation is our nation, the Lord our God is the solution, not the problem. I need an amen. I want to emphasize for each one of us in our hearts, because the world is saying the believer is the problem, and they are the solution. No, the Lord, our, our God, is the solution, not the problem. Secondly, evil is overcome by the sovereign Lord God. And we're seeing a lot of evil, but it's always been there. And God will overcome all evil. He wins. He is the victor. We follow him in victory. The Bible says he always leads us in victory. So what evils are you facing? What evils are you seeing? What evils have gotten you mad? God is sovereign and he will overcome all these things. Now foundational to the overcoming of God as far as the evil of sin is the cross of Jesus Christ. Where God through that strange event to the mind of a human being unredeemed in fact, I was listening to, uh, uh, actually, it was that commentary on the, the, the gospel, the American gospel. And here are these ones that are, have large platforms that are saying that the cross was child abuse. I mean, we've got some things we're facing that are evil. And we need to be educated and understand that these things are coming against our faith. And then third, we, <laughs> listen, we are set free through the sacrificed lamb of God. As in Exodus, in God's work there, the blood was applied to the door, the lintel. And in that place, they were secure and safe from the judgment of death. Let me say to you again, brothers and sisters in the Lord, we have been safely secured through the cross of Jesus Christ to be redeemed by his blood forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. Last week, no other, a subtitle, no other gods. This, the message was simply this, is God the supreme priority and passion of your heart from whom all things flow? The things of faith, 
love, obedience, trust, security, purpose. The things of marriage, family, friends, fellowship, and witness. Are these, is God the supreme priority and passion of your heart this morning? Because the Egyptian gods had stolen the image of God from the Egyptians. Talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Does God have competing priorities in your time, your talents, and your treasures? Is he number one in all those areas? You see, we must ask God to judge these gods lest they become a weight and sin that easily ensnares us. Who are you worshiping? Who are you following after? Because those who trust in them become like them. If we're worshiping God, we're going to become more and more like God. We must ask him to judge these gods. And oh, that God would do that day in and day out. And rid, it, rid our hearts of these idolatrous unbelief. This morning, if I were to give a subtitle, I'd say no difference. And we'll look at that again in a minute. But to segue from last study... The gods of the Egyptians were made up of a massive mythological genealogy. You, you try and study that, you got to get a doctorate in it. I mean, if you're going to really get, it's, I mean, I was, it's massive, the structures and these genealogies. But here's what strikes me as far as studying for these gods of Egypt. The majority of these gods were combinations of human and animal. So you have, in just the 10 of these plagues, you have Canum depicted as a man with a ram's head. You have Hect, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, H-E-Q-T, depicted as a woman with a frog's head. Hi, honey. <laughs> Geb depicted as a bearded man, now this is interesting to me, as a bearded man with a goose on his head. Now, can you imagine praying to him? You know, that, that goose is really distracting me. <laughs> Kepri is depicted as a man with a beetle head, an insect head. Ta, Pata, is depicted as a man with a bull's head. Sekhmet is depicted as a woman with a lion's head, or when, when things are calm, she's the household cat. Newt, or spelled nut, a woman represented as a celestial cow. What do you think, women? Osiris is depicted as a man. This is the one of the ten, as a man. This god was the god of the underworld, the god of death, the god of the afterlife. So I, I connect those a little bit and say, boy, how we would love to have control over death. It's the number one fear. Well, they had a god as a man. Who was that? Horus is depicted as a man with a falcon's head. And finally, Anubis was depicted as a man with a black jackal's head. And so we just responsibly read Psalm 135, 115 also lines up with that, and many others that are telling us that our Lord endures forever, that his fame is throughout all generations. In other words, he is the living God who interacts with people. The Lord will judge his people, and he will have compassion on his servants. God is a personal God, 
a living God, an eternal God that we have relationship. But then he goes on to say, the idols of the nations are silver and gold. And then he goes on to talk about those things. So it's amazing that humans would bow down and, and actually begin to trust in these animal human idols that had to be carved or chiseled and then carried around, that were needy and had to be supported by the worshiper. The gods that through fear and intimidation kept their subjects in bondage. The gods had to be placated, pacified, and appeased, or you're in trouble. Why would an image bearer of God not only find, but actually pursue meaning and purpose in worshiping these false idols? Why? Why would that happen? It really makes no sense. Listen to those who've been brought into the light. But to those who are in darkness, they can't even see it. So, Paul the Apostle explains the problem, but he begins with the solution. May I say to you this morning, we have to begin continuously with the solution. So, I'm going to read, I'm going to have them up here, a segment from Romans, a longer segment, but I think it's really important that we keep in mind what the problem is. But we have to begin with God's solution. So Paul does that when writing to the Romans. He says in Romans 1.13, Now, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. What kind of fruit is he talking about? I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to what? preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. It's the gospel. That's God's solution. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to, and this stand of mine is slowly, <laughs> for it is the power of God unto salvation to who? Everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God are revealed from faith to faith. For, now you've got to get the fours here. For, why do we need the gospel? Why is this the solution? How did God solve the problem? Well, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteous, un, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. In, in other words, they hold it down in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. For the, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are, what, made, creation shouts God, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that, notice, they are without excuse. Therefore, oh, because, although they knew God, they had the revelation of creation, there's also the revelation of conscience that Paul talks about, the final revelation is Christ. 
Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and here it is, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into images made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts, animals, and creeping things. Beetlehead God. Ramhead God. That's what happened. That's the problem. Now what happened? Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Our bodies are God's temple. But for someone who's in sin, suppressing the truth, their bodies become their playground. So... He gave out to unclean in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creator, the, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, then God gave them up to vile passions. So there's a downward spiral that's going on. And if you notice what's going on in that downward spiral, you begin to realize what are we seeing today in the streets of our nation, the things that are paraded and are trying to suppress the truth about our sexual identity and these kinds of things. It's because of sin. It's because of wanting to suppress truth. You get a vile path. Even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman Burned in lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. He gave them up. He gave them up. He gave them over to a debased, what's the problem? Mind. To do those things which are not fitting. And here it is. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters. This is one of the ugly lists in the Bible. Inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous, what, judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. That's the problem. Now, Paul picks it up again in Romans chapter 3. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. So, Paul is not saying, hey, we're, you know. No, he's saying, not at all. Are we better than they? Are we different? There's no difference. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks. They are all under, here's the problem, sin. The principle of sin, as it's written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. That is the condition of the unredeemed human soul. None. Nothing to bring to God. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they practice deceit. The poison of ass under their lips. And he just goes on in, more in the ugly list. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, whatever God says, whatever truth says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth can be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight, for by the law, 
is the knowledge of sin. The law was never given to make us righteous. The problem is sin that needs to be understood and seen, exposed. The law does that because it's an issue of the heart. Jesus mentioned that many times. But now, here it is, but now the righteousness of God is revealed from the law. The righteousness of God apart from law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophet. This is God's word to us. Understand, you see, you can't really understand the good until you really understand the bad. And you can't understand the really good until you understand the really bad. It was really bad. God had to solve that problem himself, and he did it on the cross. Even the righteous God through faith in Jesus, to all and all who believe, for there is no difference. Now, this is the ugly list, but you almost go, wow. I get it. The problem is sin. The problem is we needed a savior. The problem is God had to take care of that for us because we cannot save ourselves. We are unrighteous to the core before Christ comes and God came and provided for us. And so he says there, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then he says this, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption, Exodus, redemption in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness that he might be his righteousness because in his forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously. God through the ages and years and decades and centuries and millennia, down through it, he's giving us the message. He's giving us the message. I will redeem you because you can't redeem yourself. I die for you because you die, you can't pay the penalty. It won't pay it. And thus he gives us a whole book of Exodus to say, this is what I did for Israel. It's a picture of what I'm going to do for the world. To demonstrate at present time his righteousness that he might be, the, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Therefore, where is boasting? Forget it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin and left a crimson. He washed me white as snow. Is it not cause for us to stand and worship God and bow before him in humility and honoring him because what God did for us, we could not have possibly done for ourselves. What God did to the nation of Israel in leading him out of Egypt was not possible by them or Moses or Aaron or anyone else. God did that for them. And he said, now you see what I did. You tell your children. You tell your grandchildren. You pass it on. I am not, he said, I'm, I'm the everlasting God. I change not. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. What I did there is who I am, and that's what I've done for you because of who I am. And now I'm asking you, do you believe it? Do you understand the problem? And do you understand now the solution is in the cross of Jesus Christ? Now, I really take a lot of thought and prayer in what I'm sharing when it comes to these issues that we're dealing as a nation. But when God plagues a nation and when that nation is our nation, is part of what we want to talk about in here on Sundays. And so as I ask the Lord, okay, what? Because, listen, I understand, I get it. You can say one word and somebody shuts you down right immediately. That's what's going on now in our nation. This past weekend, on Friday night, at the Stanteries and Students Apologetic Conference, which was titled Chaos to Clarity, 
They're addressing many of the issues that our children are facing and giving reason, telling why those things are wrong or why we believe what we believe about them. It was fantastic. On Friday night, Monique Dustin, I think it is, spoke about the culture seeking to redefine who God has created us to be. Often through the lens of a framework that's called critical race theory. This ideology, now this is my, my little jot down, this ideology flies in the face of Scripture. It opposes the gospel and intentionally has no solution. You are trapped in your color group and there's no way out. You are either an oppressor of the other races or oppressed by the other race. Often white pitted against color. Now here it is. You cannot and will never understand the plight of the oppressed. So sit down, be quiet, admit it, and pay up. Now, I hope, here's, I wrote it down. If you haven't done your homework on this, you need to. You need to. It is now in churches. It's now, and if you listen to some of it, you go, oh, well, that, listen, brothers and sisters, we are in a fight for the soul of our children and our grandchildren in our nation. And these things I was ignorant of until the pandemic hit, and I started hearing about it, and I started research, and started reading it. And as I shared last week, man, was I mad. But that, the, righteous of man, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So what do we do? That's what I hope this little series in Exodus will help us. When God plagues a nation, when that nation is my nation, our nation, what are we going to do? That's the question Charlotte asks all the time, all the way through this. So, okay, what are we going to do? That is the question that we must take to heart and say, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond? And I hope to encourage you, because I also have found through this pandemic that the greatest need that we have as human beings, the greatest need we have in our marriages, the greatest need we have in our families, the greatest need we have in our church is to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged. I need to be encouraged, but we also need to be educated. We need to be equipped. We need to get the, understand what's going on as best as we can, make our decisions, and then go for it in our Christian faith. We are to be salt and light. We're to be preservatives. We're to be exposing these things just by how I'm living my life, but not just living. I am a voice, the voice of God into Egypt to say, hold on a second. This ideology says there's no way out, no way to change. And here's the thing that really is the kicker for me. There's no forgiveness. There's no forgiveness. You are who you are because of the color of your skin or whatever it might be. There's many critical theory places it goes. Now, Monique was not and I am not denying the problem of racism, which I believe is simply the sin of partiality. It is real. But here's what I would say. And don't turn me off, please, if it, if it possibly might. I'm sharing with you what I've arrived at at this point in my life, and I think I have, a, I have a good understanding of it now to make this statement. 
The root problem is not systemic. It's sin-stemic. That's the deal. When we move away from a biblical worldview and a biblical understanding of what the problem is, we have lost the solution. Not only that, we'll arrive at the end of the road with no solution. And yet, if God hasn't solved the problem, we have no hope. But God has solved it for us through Christ and through the cross. The solution is simply this, the gospel. Now, you might say, well, that's pretty simplistic. Oh, yeah, powerfully simplistic. But it's not simple. It's not cheap. But it's the truth. With God as our witness, we will live not by lies. We will live the truth. Repentance toward God, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and the forgiveness that we offer. I took the, the, the three things, main outline, I said, I wrote this. The gospel is God's solution for all sinners. The gospel overcomes the evil lurking in every sinful nature. This is Romans. The gospel sets us free to be forgiven and therefore to forgive. It's the gospel. And if we have that, if that's happened, then the gospel of Jesus Christ is indeed the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So as we look at this, again, the subtitle this morning might be no difference. And in the first three plagues, the first triplet, which I want to look at this morning briefly, in that first triplet, there was no difference between Egypt and the Hebrews. You get to the fourth plague, And there God says through Moses to Pharaoh, I'm going to make a difference and you're going to see it. And through the rest, this next six and the final plague of death, there was a difference. But those first three were the kind of inconveniences. And so as we get to the first one, hope you have your Bibles open. Exodus 7, so the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's banks to meet him. And the Lord, which was, and the rod, which was turned to a serpent, in you, you shall take in your hand. So Moses holds this rod. You'll find it repeatedly through all these plagues. There's the rod, there's his hand, there's God's hand. And so all these are a picture of God through Moses and Aaron meeting out judgment. And voicing what's going to happen. And there's a warning, there's a warning. Then the third one, no warning. There's a warning, there's a warning. The sixth one, no warning. There's a warning, there's a warning. The ninth one, no warning. There's the rod, there's the rod, there's not the rod. So you can read that and bring that in. But here it's what God's saying. You take that rod. And what was the rod turned to the serpent? He threw it down. Remember that? Before Moses. And then this, his magicians, Moses, I mean, uh, Pharaoh's magicians threw it down. And what happened? Moses' rod swallowed him up. Reminds me of, what's that? Pac-Man, yeah. You shall say to him, the Lord God of the heavens has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. No, that's where it starts. Obedience starts in hearing. You would not hear. You're not listening. You don't want to hear about it. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know indeed, you shall know that I am the Lord. 
There's a battle going here for power. Let me say to you, Pharaoh has no power, but he thinks he does. He thinks he can battle against this thing, this person called God. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, Moses, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink. So this is kind of a stinky one. And the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the, of the river. So the warning. The Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. So a lot of these, when, as Moses speaks and does, a lot of them, God says, you do it in the sight of Pharaoh. You wa he wa I, want you to, I want him to see you do it and see what happens. Visible evidence. Moses did so. So he lifted up the rod, struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, so there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard and did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved. by. So here's what Moses visit first one coming. He's watching this thing, uh, Pharaoh rather, and he, he's just, he's madder. He's harder because of it. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water. Now that's what, what I'm going to apply for us this morning. The Egyptians dug around all the river of water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. Here's what I want to share a little bit on, just for thoughts for us to take away. God did indeed strike all their water sources. But yet he left water if people would dig for it. So they dug around and there was water there. He still provided water for them as he always had. The source of water is from God. But now they just have to dig for it. So here's the deal. It's not quite as convenient as it used to be. You used to be able to just go down the river and butt the bucket and walk home. Go down the river, dump the bucket, go home. It's only temporary. It's seven days, but it's seven days of being inconvenienced. So in this first plague, there is no difference. Listen, we all need water. We all need food. If you want to get back down to basics, we all need air. Who's the source of those things? It's God. And many times he speaks through famine. He speaks through dryness. Listen, we all need God or we will perish. We all need water, food, air. God created us with those needs. You can't run from them. But there's no difference in any human being. In fact, in all the creation, that need is there. God created it that way. And I believe through those things, 
God many times gets our attention. He provides all things for all his creatures. There's no difference. For most of us in America, we've rarely, if ever, been inconvenienced in getting water or food. However, when we are inconvenienced in obtaining these basic needs and also many other peripheral things, our hearts toward God is revealed. Are we remembering the one who provides for us? Difficult times can bring that to the surface. I would say to you and me this morning that when we are forced to dig all around, we're now not able to just turn the faucet on or go in the refrigerator and get a bottle of water or name the thing, name the thing. We don't do well when we're inconvenienced. You could say amen if you agree. We just don't. We are comfortable Americans. So God allows this to happen that we might gain back an appreciation for what we have and what God's provided. We also gain appreciation for what we don't need, what's not important through the difficult times. Have you noticed that a little bit the last couple of years? Listen, it's also in my mind, as with many other things, critical race. You know, we're more, we have more in common than we do in difference in any soul, any human being. Made in his image. God allows this to happen that we might obtain and regain an understanding. We're all the same. We're all mortal human beings in need of God's provision to keep us alive. We're going to get that in the seventh plague. God said to Pharaoh, I let you live. I let you live. So here's the difference. Whatever might be going on, we can trust and thank God for his provision to keep us alive. The problem, the inconveniences, the interruptions, the difficulties should turn our hearts back to God. Who gives us our daily bread, our daily air, the water that we, breathe, that we drink. Jesus said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's not that it's not important to God. He sustains us in every... And many times we just lose complete sight, seeing that. We get into a routine with our dinners and our meals at McDonald's. Yes, absolutely. Do we bow our hearts before God and say, thank you? For my daily bread. Thank you for that water that I drink. Wow. To me, it's simple, but how deep that is. I think of furthermore when we are plagued and forced to dig a little deeper, we realize that our greatest need is living water. How beautiful, how powerful. 
how miraculous. John chapter 4, many of you know it well. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Never happened, but it did, Jesus. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his son and his livestock? Listen, she's digging. She's digging. Jesus answered to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I will give him, will, it, that will, that I will, <laughs> the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Have you received the gift of living water in Christ? And then this continual need is again met by Jesus. When in John chapter 8, he says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. Now notice, John gives the commentary. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He meets the need that we have for this torrent of living water through the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us as believers. But it doesn't stop there. In Revelation chapter 7, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know, John. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. That's a, that, this is a weeping of joy. Can you, can you fathom this? They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let me say to you, I'm digging it. This is ours. The second plague, frogs. Now, frogs were considered God, so they couldn't be killed. So God created a real problem here. <laughs> the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh, say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. If you refuse to let them go, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. You talk about not being able to sleep. <laughs> We got massive frog going, ribbit, ribbit. <laughs> Should I stop trying to be funny? <laughs> the frog's going to come up on you, on your people, and all your servants. The Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams. Same things, the sources of water, the rivers, the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians, this is what's crazy, the magicians did the same thing. 
Pharaoh, now notice this. This is what I want to focus a little bit on in the second plague. And the Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me, from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept, accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you. Then verse 12, Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. In other words, listen, there is no difference. We all need prayer. And Moses is praying for his enemy. We, the difference is we are called to pray for enemies. We all need prayer. No difference. Is it not encouraging when you hear, and you could hear it a million times, but someone says to you, I'm praying for you. What does that mean? It means I'm going to God about your need. I'm going to God about your hurt. I'm going to God. I'm going to pray to God. And when someone says that, I'm praying for you. There's something in the heart, not only of believers. We, we, I'm remodeling our house. And we've hired many contractors. One of the ones we, contract, we contracted was a Mormon, a practicing, devout Mormon. Wonderful man. Wonderful family. His sons worked for him. I had much good dialogue with him. And as we're dialoguing, he was telling me about his granddaughter who was in the hospital and having a lot of health problems. And I just said, hey, do you mind if we just pray right now? He goes, okay. And so I prayed. He didn't. I prayed. And... The next day, his granddaughter had gotten a little better. He immediately connected it to the prayer. We all need prayer. When you have unbelievers in your life and you say, can I pray for you? It's amazing. But they too, innate in the image of God, is this understanding there is a God. And we are all to pray. All people need prayer. The difference is for us as believers, we pray for our enemies. And in what we're going through, let me ask you, is it easy to pray for your enemies? I like David's psalm, break their teeth in their mouth. <laughs> now, that's a prayer. Is that cool? Yeah. <laughs> Moses prayed for Pharaoh not just once. He actually said to him, hey, tell me when you want the frogs to go. I'll, I'll ask God. And God did it according to Moses' intercession for him. The third plague is this bearded man with a goose on his head. Now, again, try to pray for God like that. He, this God is the God of the earth. He supports the world in their uh, mythology. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth. And it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became like lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring, bring lice. But listen, they could not. They couldn't do it. They couldn't produce life from dust. So there were lice on man and beast. Magicians couldn't do it. But listen to what they said. This is the finger of God. Here's what I want to leave you with as a final note. No difference. God is making himself known 
in the midst of the hardest hearts. These magicians, it's God. They begin to recognize and see something about Moses and Aaron and what's been happening. And they're beginning to take it actually to heart. And they say to Pharaoh, this is God. Later on, they're going to say, hey, you know what? Why don't you stop what you're doing, Pharaoh? Because they're just, they've destroyed Egypt. We must believe that some are seeing God's fingerprints. That should be an encouragement. We're praying We're also believing that on that side, we may not see it. We don't know it. We have no idea. But on the other, is God working? You bet he is. And there are hearts out there and souls out there. There may be the hardest of hearts like a Pharaoh, but there's then these others that are caught up in the same idolatry, the same blindness, the same death. And yet they're beginning to see something. It's God's finger. It's the finger of God. Hold on a second. We We can't do that, but only God could. And they're beginning to realize all the gods that they worship couldn't do that, but This God of Moses and Aaron, good. And that same God can indeed speak into the darkness of the world in which we live. He can speak into the hearts of the hardest places and begin to bring light. Now, this hope is a difficult one to maintain. This past Wednesday, John Noyes stood here from Stan to Reason. He used to be a full-on atheist. How many of you were able to come Wednesday night? It was fantastic. And he was dialoguing with us as if he was an atheist. It's fantastic. And he is a full-on atheist. And then he meets this woman who became his wife. And she had a tough background. But she was a believer. And God began to show his fingerprints where now his fingers were laying on his own heart, John's heart. He begins to battle with these things. And finally, God took him to a place where he's standing to reason. He's a full-on believer living for Christ. You know, the early church was praying for Saul of Tarsus. He then became Paul the apostle. Jesus stopped this angry man, hardened against Christianity, Christians, He stopped and said, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. Let me say to you, truth has a way of bothering people. Jesus has a way of bothering people. And they start hearing, they start thinking, they start seeing, and these people begin to think, maybe I am wrong. Maybe this is true. And so we must continue to believe that some are seeing God's fingerprints right before them. The testimony of tens of thousands of thousands and many of your own. If God saved me, he can save you. You read Paul's letters, Romans. You read in Ephesians, in Galatians, in Philippians, Paul saying, I was the least of the apostles. I persecuted the church. His testimony is one of who was blind and now I see. He was lost and now I'm found. And that's what God's doing to bring people. This is a difficult one to maintain for sure. But may God help us, even this week, say, God is at work in the hardest and darkest places that we are seeing. Let's pray.
And let's pray in understanding we're all the same. We all need a Savior. We all need the gospel. Amen. Stand and let's, if the worship team can come out, we'll close in a song and prayer. I'm going to add this because I have it here and I wasn't sure, but I'm going to add this while you're getting ready. The hope that I'm talking about is difficult to maintain that God is actually working. And God's fingerprints are being seen. But when we see the blatant lies, corruption, lawlessness, and proud, anti-Christian, power-grabbing governments, that's a lot, a mouthful. It's difficult to believe that anything good could come out of Olympia, Washington or Washington, D.C., I want to speak into that for my own self and for you. Most of us have heard, and I, I want to share this with you because it came across my desk in an email this week. There's a $3.5 trillion spending bill. 2,500 pages, but stuffed into it among many other godless, anti-American, anti-Constitution, are these, what I would call, tyrannical government overreaches. Here's the one thing that's in there that you need, again, we just need to be praying and believing God and be engaged in what's going on. Because stuffed into this 2,500-page, I'll leave it there, is to remove the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment, if you don't know, prohibits federal funding of abortion. I shared this last week also. So, can I just, before we start, I'd just like to pray. Would you bow your hearts with me? Because we are, there's no difference as far as these things of what we need and what we long for and what we desire after. And we know, Lord, a lost world can't find themselves. And so they find themselves in all manner of evil and corruption and confusion. But Lord, we are here standing before you as ones redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, safe and secure in who you are, and, Lord, wanting, even reluctantly, like Moses, reluctantly, we want to obey you. We want to be educated and equipped and encouraged and engaged in the things that matter. And some, Lord, are called into arenas that we are not. And we are also in others that they are not. But in all these things, you have scattered, as it were, your people, your church, to be the force to be reckoned with because we know the truth and we know the truth is what sets us free. So, Lord, hear this. What song are we doing there? It is well. <laughs> That's a great song. So, Lord, we just lift our hands to you in worship. We bow before you in submit, submissive joy that he who began the good work in us will complete it, that we are a work in progress, that we need to be reminded all the time that apart from you we're sinfully lost and blind and in bondage, but with you and the whole truth of the gospel. Lord, that 
because of you, it is well with my soul. And we want to walk out of here today conscious of some of the problems, but not overcome by them. Can you just commit it to obeying you and being sensitive to your spirit in leading us by the power that you supply in these tents, these bodies of clay. Let's sing that song. Yeah.